Portland is on pace to shatter the record for most homicides in a calendar year. It's a confluence of factors. People lost their lives in all corners of the city, and there's no clear consensus on how to address the crisis. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with your Oregonian. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Source Health Plans, for supporting the show. Up next, veteran reporters Maxine Bernstein and Noel Crombie talk about the rise in gun violence. Max has covered law enforcement in Portland for more than two decades. Noel has also covered criminal justice issues for the Oregonian for more than 20 years. We talked about the victims, what's driving the surge here, whether Portland is an outlier nationally, how petty disagreements and gang violence factor in, and the ongoing discussions about how to address the homicide crisis. Here's our conversation. Maxine Bernstein, Noel Crombie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Max, let's start with you. You've covered cops and violence in this city for decades at this point, and we're in a pandemic still, and the number of homicides and shootings have been up for the past two years. Just how has it felt from your seat covering this issue for so long? How has it felt the last couple of years? Well, the rate of shootings in this city uh, the past year and a half, really, and the number of bullets that are flying at each scene, um, and the fact that the violence is no longer concentrated in one or two neighborhoods, um, that's far different than anything I've seen on the police beat here in Portland now for more than two decades. So that first stands out. And secondly, What really stands out is the lack of any cohesive strategy in the city to address the violence um, is disturbing. I think back to my earlier days on the police beat, Mm -hmm. and every two weeks I would sit in on a uh, community policing meeting that brought together in the same room the police commissioner, then Mayor Katz, uh, community members from all different nonprofits, school security, police prosecutors, probation officers, uh, pastors, faith-based religious leaders, gang members, gang outreach workers, and they would go over all what occurred the la- in the prior two weeks and identify hotspots and concentrate and work together on how they were going to address the problems. And I don't see that happening. I haven't seen that happening in the last year and a half. It seems like uh, all these... Uh, all these parties are operating in separate silos and are trying to figure out how to get back to network to address this problem. And meanwhile, you know, it's just been this horrible two years of, of you know, a death toll we haven't seen in, in a very long time. Yes. Noel, through September, we've had 68 homicides. Where are these slayings happening? I know Max said it's not as concentrated in one neighborhood as before. And, and who's bearing the brunt of the violence? Yeah, I mean, as Max said, and as as, as her um, deep reporting has borne out, the shootings uh, have happened in almost all sections in the city. Um, they've followed uh, fistfights, social media disputes, drug deals gone bad. Uh, victims have been sitting in cars uh, with friends at a bar, house parties, vigils, uh, walking at a park. Um, and the, the greatest toll, according to the Oregonians' own analysis of this of, of these shootings, is uh, that 
the, the greatest tolls among Portland's black residents, um, black homicide victims outnumber all of other victims of color by far and are nearly as numerous as white victims. Wow. And that's uh, a share of the population that, as we know, is is uh, very small comparative to the white population. Yes. I think, Max, when we look back at this really grim year, one shooting death in recent weeks has a lot of factors that kind of speak to the broader crisis that you outlined in the, in the story that Noel just referred to that's gripping the city. And it's, it's a shooting death at the Mingle Lounge. Um, can you talk about that particular incident and what it says about the broader issues you highlighted? Sure. Um, well, that shooting, I, I think it exemplifies how one shooting can lead to further violence. Uh, this was a, shooting on an early Sunday in late August uh, inside a bar in Old Town, the Mingle Lounge. Uh, 25-year-old uh, Jamari Herring uh, was shot and killed inside the bar. Um, there were about 40 or to 50 people inside at the time of the shooting. Video surveillance that police obtained apparently showed several fights breaking out inside and Herring punching a man who was later identified as the son of the bar's owner, who's hmm. accused in the shooting. And uh, he falls back and, and then rises to his feet and fires, is accused of firing uh, into Herring's back. And Herring runs out of the bar and collapses on the sidewalk and uh, is killed. Um, and then later that night in the evening, um, mourners, grievers, uh, assemble for a vigil at the same location late in the evening. And um, I think it was shortly after 11. And while they're holding the vigil for uh, this most recent homicide victim, Mr. Herring, there were cars drove by and about 50 shots were fired and five other people were wounded, all who range in age from 21 to 32. And um, I spoke to a night manager of a hotel in the, that area, just around the corner, who is hearing shots frequently nearly every night. And he pulled the hotel security uh, video surveillance images and the audio caught, you know, rapid fire shots, at least 50 rounds going off. And in that case, um, investigators suspect what they've seen elsewhere that a uh, semi-automatic gun may have been transformed into an automatic gun uh, that led to that type of uh, gunfire. Yeah. So you've got, you've got an incident that's brazen in nature inside a, a nightclub, you know, right down in old town in, in the heart of the city. And you've got a retribution style shooting, you know, right after, I mean, that is that something that, has been commonplace in Portland in, in previous years? Because I don't recall incidents like that happening very often. No, I think um, police investigators are, are very concerned about uh, this is more than like tit for tat retaliatory shootings. Uh, they're saying gang rivals are going after, you know, associates of known gang members uh, or acting with violence even before, you know, one of their 
members are hit, um, that there's clearly an escalation of real brazenness in, in these shootings. So, Noelle, let's switch to you. You've profiled uh, a number of, of uh, victims who, who, who were uh, killed in these homicides in, in 2021. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those stories and who, who these people are and um, what stuck with you? To be honest, they all have, have stuck with me. Um, we've been working on this particular project for months now and really trying to deeply report these killings. And so I've spent a lot of time uh, with families and loved ones and friends and neighbors. And sort of there's this universal uh, sense of, uh, of, of senselessness and uh, grief that permeates uh, these killings, the the shadow of trauma that each of these incidents cast is is long and wide. So it's it's hard for me to pick out one um, that has stuck with me because um, you know it, it's there, there's just so much grief. The collateral damage from these is um, is pretty profound. Well, um, I know it's hard to to pick a couple, but can you tell us about you know one or two uh, of the people? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, there was, uh, I've spoken at length with the mother of uh, Charlie Bourbon Lopez. He graduated from Franklin High School. Uh, he was gunned down with uh, with his girlfriend, Jennifer Garcia, in, in the Cully neighborhood. Um, you know, his mother uh, was showing me their text to, to, to one another. And, you know, he just, you know, his texts were always about how much he loved his mother. Um, he was very devoted to her. Uh, same for Christina Gomez. She uh, always checked on her grandmother, uh, Carmen Trammell, uh, texting her mom, her grandma every day. Her grandmother raised her, and um, and now these families are kind of left with, um, you know, with with just these memories. And those two specific um, um, lives lost. I mean, do we do we know anything about about the? Uh, are there any suspects in in those cases? None that that we're aware of in the um, in the fatal shootings of of Charlie and Jennifer. Um, her the Charlie's mother is worried that um, you know the case will be lost amid the mounting toll of gun violence. She's held her own sort of one woman protest at, at City Hall over the summer. Um, we do know what happened in the case of Christina Gomez. She was acting as a lookout um, the for a friend who was stealing a catalytic converter. Uh, they were both confronted by the car's owner who was armed. Uh, and um, during that confrontation, the gun was fired and uh, struck Christina and she was killed. And that so that investigation investigation is complete um, and is now with the DA's office. Okay. So Max, we've kind of looked all year long as we've watched this, these, you know, the death toll, for lack of a better word, rise. And we've seen that this is going to be the most homicides, most likely since 1987. But Portland's obviously a different place than it was in 1987, right? And in terms of, you know, it's a larger city. What does this say about the, you know, the overall rates or just how, how, um, how, how should we process that information, I guess, the fact that we're going to hit and surpass this threshold? Well, yes, Portland is, uh, Portland's grown in population, uh, since 1987. I think we were about 400, 400 and 
fifty thousand or so in nineteen eighty-seven. Now we're um, like six hundred fifty thousand. So um, there's more people. Uh, I think back in eighty-seven, the shootings or the violence uh, homicides were more concentrated in one or two parts of the city. Uh, I know uh, another of our colleagues. Uh, was working on a story on the homicides from 1987, and there were more stabbings and beatings. While this year, um, you know, three quarters of the killings uh, resulted from shootings. Uh, it seemed that in 1987, the homicides were more um, targeted, more personal. Now uh, we're seeing more indiscriminate. Uh, and lots more bullets being fired at different, uh, crime scenes. Um, something that's also been significant this year that was not present in 87 is the uh, presence of social media. Hmm. And, uh, you know, some of these, uh, shootings are resulting from, you know, stupid disputes that rise uh, out of Snapchat or Instagram, uh, arguments or, or disrespectful, uh, posts. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a different world in a lot of respects, obviously with that technological, um, advance and the ability to, you know, get mad <laughs> very instantly at people that you don't have a personal relationship with through the internet, essentially. What are we doing politically, systemically to address these myriad crises right now, Max? There's been this, in the past year, a lot of tension in terms of what is the appropriate um, solution or way to address the, the growing uh, gun violence, uh, at least in this city. Uh, you know, after the, um, George Floyd's death and the social justice movement, there was a real push to, um, you know, defund or, or, uh, at least, um, reduce the funding of police. And here in Portland, uh, that did occur. Um, the gang violence reduction team that used to target, uh, gun violence in the city was disbanded um, and uh, out of concern that they were uh, the officers were making disproportionate uh, arrests and searches of people of color um, and other um, police divisions such as the traffic division school police uh, units were also eliminated as a result of uh, budget reductions so that was also led to um, experienced officers in the police bureau are retiring at a much faster rate. They're leaving before they reach retirement age. Um, so, so many of the officers who really spent time getting to know um, some of the players on the street and uh, building relationships uh are no longer there or are struggling to respond to, to shootings. So um, the city council here did provide more funding for community-based um, social nonprofit groups and uh, 
that money has been slow uh, in its um, to 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 roll out to to these different nonprofit groups. Now, uh, you know, Mingus Maps, city commissioner, mm-hmm. uh, who did not support uh, funding a focused intervention team, which would be a replacement for the gun violence reduction team, but with greater community oversight is now calling for more resources for police. Uh, the police bureau, you know, said we really need to have a targeted uh, team of officers to address uh, shootings in a proactive way, to be on the street, to, to have a uniform presence. Um, but they haven't been able to find officers willing to fill the team. So um, it's a quagmire right now. Indeed. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk more with Maxine Bernstein and Noel Crombie. Noel, uh, can you kind of peel back the layer a little bit on the onion and, and describe to listeners just what all, how much work has gone into uh, trying to track down information about about all these homicides and the, the people we talked about earlier? Because um, it, it's a lot of work, and I know you've been involved in a lot of projects through the years. But can you describe just what what it took to to do this? Yeah, you know, I think uh, at some point earlier this year, um, editors um, and the people who are covering um, crime and justice issues in the state, we we saw that this was something that required, um, you know, our focused attention. It was a priority. And uh, so there was a a team of, uh, I think it's nine reporters um, who were tasked with really diving deeply into uh, dozens of of homicides in the city and using that to sort of see if we could identify trends um, and, and analyzing um, each of these instances to see if we could figure out, um, you know, some, some broader um, meaning to what, uh, uh, what we were seeing. And, you know, I think it's important to note in many of these cases, uh, you know, we are reporting what happened, you know, honestly, for the first time, you know, police put out uh, very bare bones uh, press releases that often just include uh, the block where someone was killed and, and the name of the victim, but, but sometimes that name doesn't come out for some time and and often you know it's 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 hard for us to go back and and piece that together so this really represented us going back figuring out what happened in each of these cases max and i and our and our colleagues you know we went out into these neighborhoods where these shootings took place talked with residents uh you know tracked down um, victims family members you know reviewed uh, court records, uh, really, d- d- you know, went deep into some court records and, and to figure out, you know, some of the backgrounds and histories of victims and also, um, you know, perpetrators to, you know, really learn learn what happened in each of these cases. It represents a really extraordinary amount of resources and energy, and it's kind of a signal of how seriously we we took uh, this um, this issue and 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 our and our efforts to really identify what was going on for readers. Um, 
can you point to any other big takeaways from from all that work um, that we haven't talked about so far? You know, I think for each of these, it's so, uh, you know, there's they're so different. I think um, they do reflect, though, uh, we saw um, domestic violence victims are among uh, the death toll here. And we know that that is an issue that has uh, been exacerbated by the pandemic. We know that in pockets of the city, there's been conflict over homeless encampments and, and neighborhoods uh, where these encampments have sort of proliferated and one of the cases I uh, reported on was a man who was killed uh, along the Springwater on the edge of um, you know the border of Clackamas County, Multnomah County, and and you know I spent a lot of time in the neighborhood talking to residents and and they were sort of not surprised that things had reached uh, this this level and I, yeah. I think that that story was a way of us really looking cl- uh, more closely at at some of the sort of the, the impact on neighborhoods when 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 these killings happen. The other thing that has stood out this year are, is the number of killings that have resulted in multiple victims. Uh, in the past, um, detectives said a double homicide used to be a rare occurrence in Portland. And this year, 12 people were killed in, there were four double homicides and one quadruple homicide. Um, and I remember that, I mean, the quadruple homicide was on a quiet street in Southeast Portland in a single residence. And, uh, you know, it was shocking to those living in that neighborhood. Um, and, and that was over, you know, a drug deal, marijuana deal gone bad, uh, with four men killed. Yeah. It's just horrifying. I, re- I recall that one, that one definitely, um, you know, not, not something that, we frequently see here in Portland. Your story um, that came out uh, last Wednesday, by the time people hear this, um, had really a lot of context from some longtime leaders in the Black community. As we mentioned earlier in this conversation, um, Black people in Portland have borne the brunt of this, um, overrepresented as they are in, in, um, in so many metrics in our area in terms of incarceration rates, um, overrepresented, um, both you and Noel have reported on that for years, but I mean, what are people saying about, about this situation? Um, and can you talk about some of the people you talk to? Sure. Um, so I attended a number of what have been, uh, called unity in the community events that have been in different parks and neighborhoods in the city throughout the past year. Um, and Tony Hobson, a number of black community leaders addressed uh, crowds at these um, events. And Tony Hobson, he's the um, longtime director of the largest black led nonprofit in Oregon self enhancement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he urged that the city can't let this year's gun violence become the norm. Um, that uh, the city, the community, uh, residents, fellow, you know, black um, neighbors must all do their part to, to step up and, and intervene and stop these shootings. Uh, he called for, you know, more investment in social service networks, whether it's education, 
nonprofits to reach kids from an early age to keep them away from destructive behavior, mm-hmm. um, after school programs, internships, more job opportunities. Um, schools must find more people that uh, reflect the community that are uh, more teachers of color. So um, students don't get pushed out of school as easily as they uh, are are pushed out now. Um, but he also, he also spoke directly to his fellow, uh, community. He said, um, you know, black people must look in the mirror. He, he said, we need to hold ourselves accountable, uh, whether it's your brother, your sister, your cousin, whomever it is that you know is involved in this, uh, kind of activity. Um, he was one of the speakers, others who've spoken out and, uh, Lakiana Drury. He's, uh, the executive director of a nonprofit that works to, to bridge relations between young black men and police. Um, he doesn't, you know, believe that more resources for police is the answer. He, he's, he came up with his own, uh, proposed gun safety proposal that would identify potential shooters. And, uh, work to support them for two years with a thousand dollar stipend to get them a job, mentoring and, and mental health support. And then, uh, I also spoke with, um, people who, who've lived, uh, the gang lifestyle, so called OGs or, um, who, who say that they need support because they need to connect with the, the young kids and teenagers, men in their 20s who have already dropped out of school, who are on the street carrying guns, that no one's going to listen to them better than someone who's walked in their shoes and could try to steer them away from from that path. Max, Portland's homicide rates, um, how do we compare nationally? Are we alone in, in terms of seeing an increase or are some cities seeing an increase as well? Can you describe kind of what, what the national scene is? Yeah. Portland's not alone. I mean, nationally murders have risen, uh, I think about 30 to 35% last year in cities with populations over 250,000. That's according to the FBI uh, figures. But while homicides are still up in, in major cities this year, the rate of increase appears to be slowing down in other big cities, but uh, not here in Portland and, and some other cities like Las Vegas or Chicago or Oakland. Um, you know, criminal justice experts point to uh, a number of factors for this, that there's... Um, you know, reduced confidence in police following the George Floyd's killing, um, especially among disadvantaged minority communities, as well as um, uh, potential reluctance by police to do traffic stops, to do proactive policing that might draw community ire. Um, plus, the pandemic has added further stress with Economic uncertainty, schools closed, uh, after school programs reduced. So while Portland's not alone, uh, but we're still struggling with 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 a frequent rate of shootings. And uh, a lot of people wonder, you know, how long this is going to continue since um, 
you know, Lionel Irving, who, who's been a long time uh, gang member who did uh, a substantial federal prison sentence and now is uh, out working to try to get kids not to follow in his footsteps is uh, concerned that with each shooting, another shooter develops. So he feels like the city's already way behind the curve in addressing this. Meanwhile, there's been a few homicides this year that, you know, are are those devastating incidents where it's it could happen literally to anyone. Um, you, you've got the 18-year-old girl who, who was shot and killed downtown uh, at the food carts. Um, and then most recently, the, the Jacob Vasquez um, shot and killed at Silver Dollar Pizza, um, you know, a pretty long-standing place on in northwest portland just um two of the more two of the examples that i'll probably carry with me going forward yeah and and i i don't want to lose sight of others you know who, who were killed uh not from shootings but um from such bizarre random uh, you know i keep thinking of jean garrett she's a 77 year old woman who was you know walking in southeast portland when a, when a motorist uh just appeared to have gone on on a uh just random rampage and 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 uh ran over her um uh you know just she was leaving an appointment and walking across the street and was killed you know Michaela Harris as well you know the 18 year old who you mentioned just graduated from Grand High uh the month before and was uh, near food carts and was not the intended target, but someone near her was, and she was shot and killed. Uh, Yeah. These, um, you know, talking to the families, this is, uh, it's just devastating. um, It's remarkable how they deal with it. I, I don't know how they deal with it, but, um, it's just you feel their pain when when you talk to them. Yesterday, you know, I spoke to the sister of the victim of the silver dollar shooting, you know, and, and she that was on what would have been his 35th birthday. Um, and they had come here from California to take care of his affairs. And, uh, you know, she, the sister said she could not. She could not go inside the location where it occurred. Um, she spoke to a lot of his coworkers and they were buoyed by the stories of how, of course, her brother impacted his friends and coworkers, but they're just left with so many questions and the, uh, alleged gunman, there's been no arrest. Yeah. And as you've noted, um, only 40 something percent of these, uh, homicides have, have, uh, have been cleared at this point, right? Right. And I think that's, you know, that that's just enhances the, the pain and, and suffering of, of these families who don't know if the person responsible for taking their loved one's life is going to be held responsible, uh, is going to be held accountable. Um, and they, they, a lot of the people I've spoken to said they received very little information from law enforcement. Noel, uh, any, anything else you would want to add that I hadn't asked? No, I mean, I think just um, piggybacking on what Max is saying, I think that, um, you know, these, these families that I interviewed 
I feel really deep frustration um, and grief and have lots of questions about not only sort of just the basics of what happened to their loved one, but when will the cases be solved? There's worry that these cases will go unsolved um, and that the sheer volume of cases in the city means, you know, less investigative attention for their cases. And, you know, a lot of the uh, families I spoke with, um, it was almost a universal sense that they, they really feared being forgotten. They feared their loved one was being forgotten or overlooked and that they were not um, a priority. Uh, they, they get you know, few scant details from authorities. Um, their contact with authorities is is pretty minimal, and 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 so there's this kind of their sense of just going through this horrible experience alone, um, with no sort of end in sight. It's grim. Um, thank you both for taking so much time to talk about it, and thank you to the whole breaking news team for all the tremendous work um, documenting this really important issue. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with you, Oregonian. I shared links to our coverage of the surge in homicides in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. And tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.